This is Leewood Online, a ministry of Leewood Baptist Church, located in the Kansas City area. For more information about us, visit us online at www.leewoodbaptist.com. Good morning. I'm Michael Loney, and today we're going to be reading from Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, which can be found in page 976 in your pew Bibles. That's Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has lavished, excuse me, which he has blessed uh, us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Thanks, Michael. Good morning. My name is Adam. <laughs> and uh, today we continue in our four-week sermon series on, in our Foundations Foundation of Community series, as we walk through this together, we're walking through an acronym of, of SPUR that, is, is you, that we are using uh, to really help us guide us in community here at Leewood, whether that's our small groups or even outside as we have coffee or get together with friends of ours. Uh, so we're walking through that uh, together over these four weeks. Three weeks ago, uh, Chris shared about Scripture and how we align our lives with the Word of God, how we align our how we align our lives with the Word of God is the focus of our small groups. And the beauty of community and why we need community is that we get to study the Scriptures together to help us stay on track as we seek out spiritual truth. Then a couple weeks ago, we hit on prayer and how uh, prayer in community and how we talked about when different people share different uh, issues going on in their lives, how we want to uh, we, want, we want it to be our reflex to, to stop and pray with them 
As people share a, a prayer need that we need to just stop and, and pray with them, we want, that, we want to build in that reflex in our, our church body and in our community. And then last week, uh, Chris covered unburdening ourselves. As we share and unburden um, ourselves, our struggles, our anxieties, even our sins, that is an opportunity to be restored, an opportunity to really be reclothed in grace. That as we unburden ourselves, we're kind of exposing our lives to each other, and that's an opportunity for another brother or sister to reclothe us in grace. Then this morning, I'm, exci- I'm excited for the opportunity to talk about reminding ourselves of our gospel identity. I'm excited about that because, one, there's something really powerful about when we unburden ourselves, we expose ourselves, we share our struggles, our griefs, our anxieties, and then we have another brother or sister reclothe us in grace and remind us who we are in Christ. There's something just really powerful about that. And then two, I'm excited to talk about it this morning because it's really important for us to know as believers and followers in Jesus, it's really important for us to know um, who we are in Christ and who we are because of the gospel, his work on the cross. Uh, This spring, our staff read the book Rare Leadership by Marcus Warner and Jim Wilder. If you haven't had a chance to read that, I really encourage you to read it. Um, in, In the book, it says this. Leaders have discovered that everything in our brain and in the minds that serve under us powers up when we aim for a powerful group identity first. When we know who we are, we get our kind of results. A group's identity is formed by the answer to two simple questions. Who are my people and how is it like us to act? So it is really crucial for our spiritual brains to be powered up for us to know our gospel identity and then to be able to remind our brothers and sisters in Christ of their gospel identity. So my desire for us this morning is that we would leave here not just knowing what we are. I think a lot of us could uh, articulate what we are in Christ, but who we are in Christ and whose we are in Christ, and then for us not just to know our identity, but be able to remind our spiritual family, be able to remind our other brothers and sisters of who they are in Christ and how they can experience this reality together. So, if you have a Bible, uh, Michael just read from us from Ephesians chapter one. So, if you would turn there uh, with me, this passage is going to be guiding our time uh, this morning as we talk about. Uh, reminding each other of our gospel identity. Now, I will say this a little as a little bit of a disclaimer. There are a lot of really, really good uh, passages of Scripture that help us remind of uh, remind us of who we are in Christ. Okay, so I am by no means saying that Ephesians one is the only place that we find in the Scriptures that remind us of our gospel identity. It just so happens to be my favorite. And so, since we are, are preaching, and since I'm preaching uh, this morning, we're gonna we're gonna dive into Ephesians uh, chapter one that Michael just read for us. The Apostle Paul is the author of Ephesians under the inspiration of God. Um, He's writing here to the churches of Ephesus and Asia Minor. Some scholars say that the Ephesians church was made up of about 30 to 40 people gathering in homes. And Paul had spent about three years in Ephesus helping establish the church uh, there in Ephesus. He spent about three years. And after that three-year time period, Paul leaves 
And so when he, he, when he writes Ephesians, there's been about seven to eight years where he's been gone. After a seven to, seven to eight year absence, things have started to change and shift in the Ephesian church, and they needed some instruction. A big overall theme in Ephesians is unity. There, are, uh, there may have been a lack of unity in the Ephesian church among pre-Paul converts and those who came later, as well as division between Jewish and Gentile believers. So Paul, in the book of Ephesians, if we were to cover the book of Ephesians today, or if you were to read through it, you're going to see Paul over and over again in this book remind the church of, of Ephesus that they are in Christ because of the grace of God. Really what Paul does all throughout Ephesians is he reminds them of their gospel identity. But Paul does not waste any time in his writing. Here in Ephesians, he, he, as he often does in his writing, he opens up with a greeting, and then he starts to remind his readers, then and us today in verse 3, he reminds us and them that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You see that in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so we see that there, uh, that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. But I want us to notice before we start listing out these different spiritual blessings that make up our gospel identity, I want us to notice a really key phrase in these 12 verses. A really important phrase that Paul kind of repeats over and over again. He says that these spiritual blessings are in Christ. In fact, Paul uses that phrase nine times in these 12 verses. So anytime we're reading Scripture, we're reading the Bible, and the author, under the inspiration of God, whenever the author repeats himself over and over again and gets a little bit repetitive, what they're trying to do is get us to pay attention to our particular spiritual truth. So Paul is trying to hammer home a point to us here in Ephesians 1. And what he's trying to hammer home here is that the spiritual blessings that make up our gospel identity are because of the work of Jesus. So as we start to walk through these different spiritual blessings here in Ephesians 5, I want to lay a foundation here that every spiritual blessing is because of Christ. It's all because of Him. It's not anything that we have done or that we have earned. It's all because of Jesus. It's all about Him. It all starts in Him. So let's unpack some of these spiritual blessings that make up our gospel identity. Paul kind of starts to list these out for us. So look at there at verse 4 with me, if you would. He says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So there's a lot that goes into the reality that we have been chosen in Christ. There's that God initiates his love uh, towards us, his grace towards us, that God reconciles enemies to himself. He saves people to bring glory to himself. But another aspect that I want to highlight this morning is that uh, aspect of being chosen in Christ is that God chose to have kids. God chose to have spiritual kids. Just as a couple decides to have kids, whether biologically or through adoption, that choosing to have kids is an act of love. In God's love, he chose to have us. He made a way for us to be his children. 
And what was that way? How did God decide to have us as his spiritual children? What was that plan that God put together that spiritually birthed us? John chapter 1, verse 12, uh, in the Gospel of John, it says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Church family, God loves you. No matter what condition your life is in, God loves you. And he loves you so much that he chose you. He put together a redemptive plan that unfolded over thousands of years to make a way for you to be his child. God literally moved heaven and earth to make you his child to love you, to provide for you. But what was the means of God choosing us? He chose us through adoption. Look at verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. What does it mean to be adopted? Now, I know I'm probably asking a rhetorical question here this morning, but I just want us to just camp out here for a few minutes, and I just want us to think about what does it mean to be adopted? What is adoption? If we were to take a pop quiz and you had to write out a definition of adoption, what would you write down? What does it mean to be adopted? Well, here's what I would write down, okay? Again, this is not, uh, this is for free. You can just uh, take it however you want, but this is how I would define adoption, I think we could say that adoption is having all the rights, privileges, and responsibilities of a biological child. And Paul talks a lot about adoption in his writing. He talks about it a lot in Romans chapter 8. We'll talk about that here in just a second. He talks about it in Romans chapter 8, Romans 9, Galatians 4. And that makes sense for Paul to talk about it because in the time period that Paul lived, he lived during the Roman Empire— and in the Roman Empire, it was pretty common uh, to, for adoptions to take place. It was, it was really, really common. Within the Roman Empire, there were constantly orphans just walking the streets without their basic needs being taken care of, like food and, and water and shelter. So you can imagine there in the Roman Empire, all these kids just walking the streets, begging for food, needing, needing care. Also, a a basic human need is to know that we belong to a loving family, of knowing someone will provide for us, someone to love us unconditionally. In the early Roman culture, it was important to have a son because it was through a son that the family name and property would continue. We even have historical evidence of Roman rulers who would often adopt to keep their dynasties intact. Adoption was also a legal transaction. A price would be paid, a title of sonship would be given and recorded in civil records, but it was more than a legal transaction. The adopted child would become a member of the family. Their basic needs would be met. They would be equals. They would be cared for just like a natural-born child would be cared for by loving parents. And then after the adoption came official... 
the family would throw a, a huge banquet, a big party to celebrate this new child. And they would use this banquet to present them to family and friends and um, other extended family. And, and during this party, during this banquet, the father at some point would stand up and say to all the people there, this is my son. He now wears my name. He now receives all the rights and privileges of my family and is the heir to all I own. Welcome him into the family. So as adopted sons and daughters of God, we receive all the rights, privileges, and responsibilities of being his child. This relationship is not just between us and God. That's the beautiful thing about it. Oh, it's wonderful that we have a relationship with the Heavenly Father, but this family relationship, this adoption relationship is not just between us and God, but it's also with each other as brothers and sisters. So we don't just receive a Heavenly Father, but we also receive an entire family. Even with how complicated that can be, we receive an entire family. And then our responsibility as this family of faith of children of God, our responsibility is to carry on the family business of carrying out God's mission by declaring the good news, this good news of adoption to the world. So we are chosen and adopted by God. But look at verse 7. Look at it with me. We are redeemed by Christ. Paul says, In Him we have redemption through His blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This idea of redemption goes all the way back to Exodus, the second book of the Bible, when God's people Israel were enslaved in Egypt and God brought them out through the Red Sea and then eventually into the Promised Land. This word redemption carries the idea of being bought back and a ransom being paid for a captive. Paul says in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, he says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So God has chosen us. God has adopted us. But he's also rescued us. He's redeemed us, bringing us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption. But Paul reminds us that this redemption, this price that was paid for our salvation, has come at an incredibly high cost. This was not free. This was incredibly expensive and valuable. This high cost was through his blood. Jesus died for this redemption. The price of our redemption, the price that was paid for our ransom, was the very life of Jesus. What a great love. And what an expensive high cost for our redemption. And then in verse 11, we see that we have an inheritance in Christ. Read it there with me. It says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, 
so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This word inheritance in both here in verse 11 and verse 14 is really uh, it's really interesting because it is a compound word in the original Greek. Now, stay with me because I know that sometimes when you hear someone from up here uh, say the original Greek, the, the temptation is just kind of glaze over, or I'm even guilty of this, to kind of roll your eyes a little bit like, oh, here he goes. He's going to impress us with his Greek. That is not my intention at all. In, in fact, my Greek is incredibly sloppy. But this word inheritance is a really interesting word, actually, in the original Greek, because it's a compound word, which means it can have two different meanings. It could mean that we are made an inheritance or heritage, or we have received an inheritance. So the first idea, we were made an inheritance or heritage, is that we are made God's possession, that we are in the same family line as Jesus. So we are made an inheritance or a heritage. The second is like what Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Peter wrote, he said that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So which is it? Is it we were made an inheritance or heritage, or is it we have received an inheritance? Which one is it? I'm going to kind of sit on the fence here. I think it's a little bit of both. And here's why. Because going back to this idea of adoption. Because an adopted child is brought into the family line. And because of Christ, we are brought into the same family line as him. We have really an incredible rich heritage and family tree that is unpacked for us through Genesis, through Revelation. It's a complicated, sometimes weird family heritage and family tree, but we have an incredibly rich heritage as Jesus. And we're brought into that same family line as him. And we also are not just brought into that same heritage and family line as Christ, but we receive all the rights and benefits as Jesus Paul writes in Romans 8, 15, he said, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So that means that all that Jesus receives as the Son of God, don't miss this, that means that all that Jesus receives as the Son of God, you and I as sons and daughters of God receive the same spiritual benefits and security as Jesus. As fellow heirs, as joint heirs as some translations say, as fellow heirs with Christ, what do we receive? What do we get in this inheritance? We get God. We get all of God. We get equal access to God like Jesus does. We receive equal acceptance by God as fellow sons and daughters with Christ. 
we receive the same affection from God the Father that he has for God the Son. And as fellow eyes with fellow heirs with Christ, God looks through the lens of the righteous blood of Jesus and sees us as equals with Christ. That should blow our minds. That we have equal standing of Jesus because of his blood, because of what he has done for us. And because of this, our future is secure in Christ. Look at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This word sealed in verse 13 is really interesting. Again, going back to the Roman Empire, a seal was a mark of ownership and authenticity. It was used for cattle. Oftentimes in the Roman Empire, they would brand their cattle, their livestock, kind of like the the idea of the Old West, of cowboys branding uh, their cattle. Even slaves were branded by their masters as a mark of ownership and property. And in the Roman Empire, when the the owners were doing this, they were guarding their property from being stolen by, by branding them. And these seals, these brands, were obviously external on the bodies of property. But our sealing is not external. Our sealing is done in our hearts. We are owned by God. As children of God, we are possessed by God. We are his possession. And our future is secure and guaranteed in Christ. It's authentic. It's real because of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 10, verse 27 through 30, I love this passage. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22, he said, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as our guarantee. And so, brothers and sisters, because we are, we are in Christ, we are secure in him. Nothing or no one can change the love that God has for us. And so we've seen here in Ephesians 1 that our identity is in Christ. We are chosen in Christ. We're adopted by Christ. We're redeemed by Christ. We have an inheritance with Christ. And our future is in Christ. But you might be sitting here this morning and you might say, Adam, my future seems anything but secure. You might even be sitting here and say, Adam, I don't know if I've even been adopted into the family. You talk about this adopted family and this inheritance we receive as the adopted family, and and you talk about our future being secure, and, and you talk about being chosen by God. I don't know that I'm included in this. I don't know if I'm included in the spiritual blessings that Paul lists out in Ephesians 1. Can I encourage you to listen to the Holy Spirit? Jesus is calling you. 
Jesus is inviting you into his family, so trust him, believe in him, so you can be included in this family. I also hope that as we've walking as we were walking through Ephesians 1, I, I hope that you're asking yourself the question, on a day-to-day basis, what do these spiritual blessings that dictate, dictate our, our gospel identity, what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? What does that look like? Well, one, we're going to have to preach this to ourselves. We're going to have to remind ourselves of these spiritual realities because we're forgetful people. Back uh, this spring in April, I started a two-year spiritual formation cohort called Deeper Journey. And one thing that they've been teaching us in Deeper Journey, I, I traveled to Louisville, Kentucky, to, or just outside Louisville, Kentucky, to, to be a part of this. And one thing that they've been working with us is to take the spiritual formation that we know, the spiritual information that we know, and take it from the information parts of our brain and engage the parts of our brain that affect our feelings. So you're going to see a picture up here of uh, a human brain. Now, I am going to say right now, I am not a brain doctor. I don't want to pretend to be. In fact, if you're here and you're a brain doctor, I mean, heck, if you've even taken a a high school anatomy class, um, if you could just fact check me, this would be really, really uh, helpful uh, this morning. But neuroscientists, I think that's people the brain. Scientists are catching up with scripture that they have now found that two distinct brain circuits that give us two distinct ways of how we perceive and process information. So let me boil that down and simplify it for myself, if not for anybody else. We have two parts of our brain and that help us uh, help us know how we perceive and process, process information. So the front part of our brain, that's kind of the highlighted red part of the brain that's labeled explicit. That is the prefrontal cortex of our brain. This is the front part of our brain. We could call this the high part of our brain, but more or less because of the location of it. But this is the high part of our brain. This is the brain's executive center. This is the part of our brain that requires conscious attention to know or think in a certain way. And so we can control this parts of our brains, we can direct it, and this parts of our brain, one fact leads to another. We gather information in this part of our brain. In fact, our whole, uh, 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 our, the majority of our educational system is set up to engage this part of our brain. So we, we're going to call this the explicit part of our brain, the high part based on location. Then down here in the blue where it says implicit, this is the back, uh, the back far right part of our brain. And this is a really powerful part of our brains. This is the implicit part of our brain. This is the part of our brain that dictates our emotions. This is the part of our brain that helps us evaluate the meaning of our experiences. This thinking in the implicit part of our brain is unconscious. It is operating beyond our awareness and is beyond our direct control. It is automatic. This part of your brain is even running right now, and it's helping you interpret and understand your experience right now. It is the goal of this part of the brain is is relationship. This is the relationship part of our brain. This is the foundation of our brain that helps us know how to be with someone. And that's a lot I know. 
But if we're not careful, we can engage a a passage like Ephesians chapter 1, which is the front high part of our brain, the explicit part of our brain. We could take in a bunch of information about our gospel identity and not engage it in a relational way at all with the low or implicit parts of our brain. So you might ask, Adam, how do I do this? How do I engage the implicit part of my brain? One way to do that is to just slow down and to say to ourselves, I've been chosen by God. God has put a plan together to make me his own. I receive the redemption provided by Christ. I feel the deep love that God has for me as his adopted son or daughter. I can rest. I can relax. Because my future is secure and sealed by the Holy Spirit because of the work of Jesus. And so... That's one way to engage the implicit parts of our brain. But the second way that we engage the implicit part of our brain is through relationships. We need relationships. We need community. And community helps us engage the implicit part of our brain. And so within community, people are going to share their struggles, griefs, and anxieties with us. They're going to unburden ourselves especially in our small groups as we walk through scripture together and we pray together and we unburden ourselves we need to respond by reminding our fellow brothers and sisters who they are in Christ our fellow brothers and sisters they are chosen by God they're adopted by God they're redeemed through the work of Christ they have an inheritance and heritage provided in Christ, and their future is secure in Christ, and they need us to help them engage the implicit part of their brain. But if we're honest, as we engage the implicit parts of our brain, in fact, 90% of our thinking is is affected by our implicit parts of our brain, But if we're honest, as we engage the implicit parts of our brains, we're going to have problems and doubts with this. Because these blessings and realities that Paul has listed out for us in Ephesians 1, they're not always going to feel real. There are many times when our future is not going to feel secure for any number of reasons. There are times when we will feel enslaved and held hostage by our sin, and we don't We don't feel like we've been redeemed by Christ, and so we feel trapped. We're also a forgetful people, and we need people to remind us of our gospel identity. That's why we need community to remind us who we are in Christ. We need each other as we struggle, as we grieve. And are anxious. We need people to remind us of who we are in Christ and the gospel. So as a faith community, how do we put this reminding each other of our gospel identity in practice? How do we help each other engage the implicit parts of our brain with our gospel identity? I want you to imagine, turn on your imagination, use the implicit part of your brain. I want you to imagine that you're having coffee with someone or maybe you're in your small group. 
and someone says, I'm really struggling with anxiety because I am just swamped at work. I'm feeling all this pressure to meet deadlines, or I'm having a hard time with my kids, and every day is a battle, or I have this test coming up um, at the doctor, and I'm really scared what the results could be. And after you heard them unburden themselves, and let's imagine you say, let's pray about this. And you pray with them as that natural reflex to pray with them. And you pray with them. And then you reminded them and you said, hey, you're chosen by God. God has put an elaborate plan to redeem you to himself. You are, you are an adopted daughter of Christ. You are an adopted son of God and he loves you. Your future is secure in Christ and is guaranteed because of the Holy Spirit. As opportunities arise to remind someone of their gospel identity, can I encourage us to take it? It can feel clunky. It can feel awkward at times. But it can be really easy to pray with them and, and remind them and, and show them what it's like to be a redeemed child of God, of what their gospel identity is made up with because of Christ. And you can help them engage their implicit part of their brain. As many of you know, this past year and some change this past year or so has been a, a time of heartbreak and tragedy in, the, in my life and the life of my family with the, the loss of my wife, Mary Lane. If you didn't have the chance to meet her, I, I wish you could have. She, she was amazing. But over this past year, there have been countless of people, many of you sitting in this room, who have reminded me of who I'm in Christ, who I belong to. All of you have done this for me in just being here, in that ministry of presence and knowing that I have an adopted family. So thank you. And though this has not taken away the pain or I would want the circumstance that I live, the gospel and being reminded of who I am in Christ has been a source of strength and comfort. And because of our gospel identity, because of the work of Christ, even when life feels hopeless, we can have some hope. We keep going. And we can remind each other that we desperately need Jesus and our identity is found only in Him. Another way that we put this into practice as a faith family here at Leewood is through communion. One of the reasons we take communion is to remind us of our gospel identity. As we remember the broken body of Christ and his blood that was shed for us, we are declaring our need for Jesus. When we take of the, the juice and we take of the bread, we are declaring to ourselves and to each other that we need Jesus. We are declaring that our identity is in him, both to ourselves and to the rest of our faith community. 
Communion is for those who have trusted in Jesus and have, have had their life changed by him. And so on the back of your, your prayer guide as you came in, you should have received a, a worship guide. On the back of that, that worship guide, there are two prayers there. I would encourage you as we take this time of communion to read through those prayers. If you are someone here that's searching for the truth and wanting to know how you can have these spiritual blessings, how you can have your identity changed by Jesus— we have pastors here that would love to talk with you. We have a lot of people here that would love to sit down and talk with you at this time. But if you haven't, you can grab the set of communion elements. You can find them here at the front. There's some in the back hallway there. And when you're, when you're ready, you can take of these elements as a reminder of who our identity rests. Thank you for joining us online. Leewood Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information about us and our ministry, please visit us at www.leewoodbaptist.com.